From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep. We dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen alongside Amber Servany. You know, fostering children, teenagers, that can, that can sometimes get a bad rap these days. You know, whether it's going through the process of even becoming a foster parent, the challenges of what a foster child could even bring to your family, especially if you have biological children, or the heartbreak of even seeing your foster child who you fall in love with then leave your arms and go to another family's door. So a lot of people don't want to even deal with fostering, but we have Jesse and Monique Sullivan of Petersburg. They are here to put all those misperceptions to rest and tell their story of how they have fostered children and found complete love and joy Jesse and Monique, thanks for coming on Dive Deep. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, Thank you for great. having us. You are very welcome. We are so grateful you are here. Uh, we saw your story in Catholic Times, so we're going to piggyback off of that and get more comprehensive about your experiences, uh, what fostering is about, the misperceptions, um, some of the things that I know a lot of people have questions on just even the, the logistical side of, of things. So before we get started, you have four biological children, yet for the past two years, you have brought children into your home through through fostering. So before we get to that story, the first thing I want to know, the conversation you two had to even come to the conclusion of, hey, honey, um, can I think we should foster some children. What do you think? Uh, take us back to that moment and and what, what happened that led you to this aha moment, we need to do this. Well, luckily, Jesse and I have lots of moments where we look at each other and think something crazy and we're like, yes, this is it. <laughs> so uh, this wasn't the first time and I'm sure it won't be the last, but uh, it was actually while giving birth to our third child, Scout, that the nurse was talking to us about being a foster parent and like holding this newborn just had given birth. We looked at each other and said, maybe we should pray about that. Like maybe that's something we should think about in the future. Obviously it wasn't, you know, in the immediate future. Uh, and then God kind of chiseled away at both of our hearts over the next two years. And so uh, I did work with the Elizabeth Ann Seton program, really great organization. And one of them is breaking the cycle. It's a class at night where women come and they do like financial planning and literacy and they do like how to raise their children in ways that they don't make the same mistakes. And so really great. And I would just cook food and come as a support system. And it was really fun to get to know them. But a lot of them when they were younger had lost their children to DCFS at some point or another. So I actually got introduced to DCFS and foster care through the mothers, not through the children. And it gave me like a level of empathy that God was very gracious with. And so, you know, they were very good women who wanted the best for their family and their children um, and just were trying to figure out how to get there with the tools that had been given to them in their childhood. Uh, and so I came back and told Jesse, I feel like it would be really great to be able to foster because this has been really hard on them. And they are very, in, you know, years later, very grateful for the good foster families that cared for their children while they got out of abusive relationships or they got clean. And they like, they look back and they're so grateful even though it was hard in the moment, you know, and I, you know, I said, I think we could be a good bridge between the foster kids and their biological families and even being a positive influence for those biological families as well. And so we started praying about it. And then uh, we called up DCFS to see how to get licensed. And I said, where is your need? What age group? And he said, really, I have a very big need for pregnant teenagers. Um, and it's teenagers who are in the system themselves but are pregnant. And so uh, it's kind of a, a weird placement there. And so we prayed about that. And I'm a high school teacher by trade. I work with high schoolers. Like, I thrive in a high school classroom. And I said, oh, man, this I can do this. Like, <laughs> that's definitely kind of my niche. And so we prayed about it a lot. And then through licensing, we're able to pray, you know, kind of go through the process and become foster parents. And now, now Jesse, take us through um, who you fostered. And Monique said um, – 
you guys are an interesting story in that, yeah, you, you take teen mothers mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people who may be interested in fostering, they want the children or maybe the babies and, and you know, help them along the way. And the other thing that's interesting that I, I read about in your story is you all, you don't look at it as uh, we're looking to adopt. Um, and so, so, so Jesse, take us, uh, take us back to, you know, who you've taken into your homes, their, their names and, and their stories, their backgrounds. Yeah, sure. And, um, I think Monique might even be a better place to share some of these stories because even I know one awkward part for me is I'm, we're open, transparent people entirely, but the children who come into foster care, especially those who are teens, um, there's somewhat of a stigma around, you know, them being foster children and opening up their lives to any scrutiny that might come from that. And they might even be known through that lens. Uh, and so always making sure that we're extra cautious and careful about like sharing too much of their story, uh, and making it, you know, a part of ours. And even, you know, if you saw the Catholic times article, you know, like putting faces, uh, smiley faces over pictures or facing away from the camera. And, um, and so one of those things is just trying to be so respectful that, we love these kids so much that we want to make sure that they get to tell and share their story uh, and kind of the difficult experiences they've been through, um, but really welcoming them into our family uh, as our own and to say, hey, we love you unconditionally and um, and you're, and you're um, ours as much as you want to be ours. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, for us, though, really, we had heard this about um, teen mothers really needing help. And we're also root cause people. So we thought, man, you know, a lot of times we welcome these teens into our lives and they haven't themselves done anything to be placed in this system. It's their family situation that has placed them in, into our care. And so um, loving them and showing them that unconditional love and then they get placed right back potentially into that home or that family situation. Uh, it's like, man, we're root cause people. We almost want to help that uh, family home that they were in. Uh, some of the work Monique was doing previously. And, um, and so... For us, though, we thought with young teen mothers, actually, that is one of these key points where it's a young mother who now is bringing life and creating a family of her own. And if we can help, especially Monique, um, on some of those skills of what it means to be a mother and to love your child in a certain way and just to model, role model that behavior, that hopefully that would translate into that mother's life as she began uh, her own family. And um, and so but God had other plans for us because uh, actually Ashley, the first um, our first foster daughter, uh, we decided she was not pregnant, uh, but she had a really unique case where we felt like, you know, I think we should do this. And, um, and so we went ahead and, you know, got to know her, uh, welcomed her into our home. And she's just been just an incredible, uh, child that, you know, like just hilarious. I think for me, like one of the greatest joys for me is like, you thought I'm a get too serious sometimes. And I'm like, okay, as a father, I want to teach her all of these skills, you know, like I'm going to show her, you know, like I, in a professorial type of way and like Monique and her laugh about it. But like, I think one of the, the greatest things for me has just been like the humor that she brings into our family and the situations and like, you know, sounds just, like she humbles you a little uh, bit. 100% <laughs> catches me off guard. And I'm sitting there being like, okay, what rule do I come up with for cell phone use? You know, <laughs> our kids are young and I haven't had to face that as a, being a father of a teenage daughter all of a sudden, like normally you get to, uh, raise the child in a way where like, Hey, I get to know them. Like we create a relationship where I can intervene in the right ways. But this one, it's like, what rules do we set up uh, for a, a teenager about their cell phone use? 
you know, I have my own problems with looking at my cell phone too much and all of that. And uh, so I think honestly, one of probably two things that surprised me the most, one, the absolute joy and just the humor and all of that, that Ashley brought into our lives. And then two was what it did for our marriage and our household, where you began to look at everything and say, is this the foundation in which I want her to be viewing everything by how good of parents are we being to our kids? What, what behavior am I really modeling uh, to her? And so it made us kind of step back, make sure we were really providing that really strong foundation uh, for her. And then, so then I talked about Ashley. We also got this great joy of getting to bring um, Amani and Armani into our lives. And so Amani, you know, had a young child. um, And so she was able to come into our home and it was just so neat, you know, getting to meet them and and getting to share. And there are so many like uh, difficult moments that, you know, could go into, but it's also really hard because you don't want to like, um, I'm pretty open and transparent, but I feel like, oh, these are not my stories to really share and just to be so conscious about about that for for Amani's sake. Um, yeah, but Monique, how about you? You're better at sharing these things <laughs> yeah. than I am. No, yeah, I definitely. We're trying to be like cognizant of like how much, you know, what is our story to tell? What's their story to tell? You know, and one thing is like, and Ashley, we've had long conversations with Ashley, like being a part of our family, we never want you to feel like foster care is a label that you have to carry with you, especially when she went to college and she was like, no, this is just my story. And she's embraced it. She loves loves our family. She loves her biological family. Um, and so I think she loves feeling loved, you know, and so she, she doesn't really mind being like, okay, I'm going to go here and here and I'll get four birthday parties this year. And she really sucks it up, you know? And so, and then in other cases, you want to be really aware that like foster care wasn't a label they really wanted to be associated with. And now that they're getting older, especially in times of social media, we just try to choose, you know, which stories we share, uh, you know, thoroughly so that make people understand. Um, but yeah, having Ashley, when she came in, it was like January of uh, 2020 uh, and then COVID hit. And so it wasn't just like, hey, hey, welcome to our family with four kids. It was like, hey, welcome to our family and we're locked down. So like, you better really like us because no one went anywhere for a long while. So, and it was so much fun. We ended up like reading books together and then doing parties and then watching the movies of it. And she really loves planning parties like that. You know, she turned 18 while we were in lockdown. Couldn't see her mom, couldn't see her family, couldn't see her siblings. She graduated high school um, during lockdown, couldn't go to graduation. I mean, like until way later, you know, and so there was these big key pivotal moments in which there was a lot of deep bonding um, because in because COVID in 2020. So um, I think that really led to how deep we relied on one another and how integrated she feels into our kiddos' lives. And we saw her start arguing with our kiddos like a sibling, you know, like not in a bad way, but they would banter and you'd be like, okay, you two need to separate for a bit, you know? And so, but it was really fun watching it unravel and all the fears you have, they dissipate slowly as you start going into it. And it's like the first night is always very nerve wracking. And then you know, as you start to figure out what makes them happy, what makes them feel comfortable, what makes you feel comfortable, you're able to better kind of meld as a family and it, 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 it comes more naturally. So can you um, tell us a little bit about how you um, get a placement? So you said you work with teenagers. Is it, have you like in your profile, does it say you only take teenagers or what does that look like? And then how does someone come? And then do you get 
the choice? Like yes. someone's presented to you and what does that look like? Absolutely. That's a good question. So when you create your profile as a foster family, you get to pick what ages and well, and legally you get to choose how many kids you could pick. So, or how many kids you could take. Um, and so like, depending on how big your home is, how much room you have, how many rooms, like there is a limit the state allows you to have. Um, but you could even say less than that. You could say, we just want one child at a time. Um, and so we have, um, our make up our, uh, you know, our paperwork through DCFS says that we will take in teenagers. I think our ages is 14 and above. Um, that's not to say they haven't called us about kids younger. It wouldn't be very hard to switch those ages to being something lower. Um, but that's what we have sitting there. And then there's a lot of like advocating so that you call other independent organizations other than DCFS, like CYFS and Rutledge and let them know like, Hey, we are a family that will take in a pregnant teenager. If you have that need, please call me. And so a lot of it is getting your name out so that, you know, people know you are out there that you have this placement available. Um, and, and then when you get the call, we get calls sometimes that kind of come in waves. It's not all at once. You'll get like three calls in a weekend. It's very odd. Uh, and so then you have to sit down and take, and you have to ask questions and not just superficial questions that you feel like are appropriate and polite. They're like the deep dig. Tell me like, um, are there any abusive substance? Are they addicted to drugs? Are, you know, do they have a problem with alcohol? Um, and you have to ask some of those questions that might even make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, like around just their background, their history. And and our goal is not just to protect them so that they feel comfortable in our home. So like a young teenager who is terrified of male influence, like maybe won't do well with Jesse at home working full time from home. And I want to put her in an environment in which she's constantly afraid for her safety. And so it's thinking about not just yourself, but also those kids, how to best serve them. And then also your own biological children. Like, how do I protect our four younger children? How do I make sure that they feel safe? And, and it's um, it's not, you know, you can't go into it naive. And that's really how you won't burn out. I have one um, friend in, uh, that works at DCFS, and she said, you can say yes to one wrong case and be done. And you'll burn yourself out. And you will have helped that one child. But you will not have helped anybody after, afterwards because you will have burnt yourself out. You will have burnt your family out. If you say no, you can help 10, 15, 20 other kids. So you really need to think about which ones you're saying yes to. And to me, that's been so empowering because there's a lot of guilt that comes from telling somebody on the phone, like, I'm so sorry, I cannot take this placement. Um, and then there, I've, I feel like as we've gone along, it's gotten easier to say like, this isn't the best fit for my family. And I, I'll pray for you. I hope you find a placement. Uh, if I can be a support in any other way, let me know. But, you know, in terms of taking them physically on with our family, I can't, we can't do that. Um, and so I think that is a misconception with foster care is that you have kids coming in constantly and you have no ability to say no or pause or we need a breather. And, that's not the case. You know, you really do have a lot more um, control over that faucet, whether or not it's going on and off and how many children you're able to take. So, And do you know how long you're going to have them? No, you don't. That is one area where <laughs> they could, any caseworker could tell you what they think, but they probably wouldn't even know. You know, in like Ashley's case, uh, she was supposed to maybe have a court. I think it was like May. Well, COVID hit. So then nothing. I mean, so you really can't predict it for lots of reasons. And then also like, Families have to go through their own kind of hoops they have to jump through, whether it's like educational services, um, and you have no control over their biological family and how fast they'll get those things done or if they'll be motivated to. And so it's impractical for you to think you have an idea, and it's impractical for the foster child to feel like they know how long they'll be in care as well. So you kind of try not to focus on that. So it could really be weeks to maybe even, could you say years? Years. Mm -hmm. Years? Okay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Talk about more about um, before that. Do you have to go the logistics side of you have to do what background checks? Don't you have to take classes as well? Um, which I mean, 
it kind of makes me laugh in a small sense where it's like you have biological children and then it's like, Hey, you got to take classes on how to parent. I mean, oh, we can always, we can always take, I have four kids. I can always take classes on how to be a better parent, but I'm also like, but I'm already a parent. I should know what I'm doing. No, exactly. Yeah. You do, you do a background check and then you do classes and those classes are a lot more areas you think, Oh man, my brain has not ever gone here, you know? And so it's like trauma based responses that those kids might have attachment disorders that those children might have and how they might exhibit them and then how to best deal with them. Uh, and so it was very helpful and very eye-opening and kind of it's scary as you're going through it because you're thinking of all these worst case scenarios that you might be faced with and then how you're going to approach them as a family. So, so, so maybe once you have your first biological child, they should mandate these classes even for us too. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. So, so you kind of go through that now. Um, no, once you have these children, um, I know one thing that may hold people back is the financial side. I, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have these foster children. I don't have enough money, but ta- walk us through the support systems that are in place through the government, through the agencies that help you guys, you know, bridge the gap in terms of healthcare, food, even entertainment. I know you want to take these kids out to pumpkin patches and maybe go for trips and things like that. How, do, how does that all work for you all? Our pool is pretty limited to a couple kiddos, so I can only speak that the caseworkers that I have been with have been have gone above and beyond to make sure that the kiddos don't go without. Whether it's like a high school class ring, to cheerleading outfits, to cheer camp, like getting their braces off, like they really will find there are lots. Of, there's lots of money in the DCFS system to provide for those children. You might have to do some digging and write up a grant uh, of some sort, but you you can figure out a way to fund those little things that are important to them. Um, there is support. Their healthcare is paid through through the state. So that doesn't fall on like your family to pay for any of that. Their dental is covered through the state. Um, then you do get an allotment, like a, a stipend each month for your child. Um, and it, it's it's not very much. I don't know what it's up to now. I, I can't really remember. Uh I, I honestly, I, I would be seeing something. Wrong, but at the very but minimum, it helps bridge the gap of, yes. of between your 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 income and what you want to provide for these children, right? Especially for food. And so then, if you're taking in like a pregnant teenager, the the teenager who is in the DCFS system will be covered under those. But then the mother is going to have to apply for uh, like state supported uh, like WIC things like that to help with that biological child of hers. Um, and so it's very helpful. I feel like financially there should never, that should never be a reason anyone feels like they couldn't be a foster family. I really do think there's enough support out there that allows you to be able to provide for that child and, and welcome them in. Um, and so I don't know, how do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. What we've realized is that the state actually has a ton of resources available. It's amazing. Like, uh, the money in the system is not the problem. It's really, uh, that it's so fragmented and fractured. And so, even when Monique was talking about the process of like, there's the DCFS state side, and then there are a lot of these private agencies. Um, and so trying to figure out how to navigate that is uh, a little tough. And then, yes, there's so much support, but Monique, where she's excellent, is on the organizational side of being an advocate and like saying, okay, you really have to figure out where are these pools and pockets of resources that are and benefits uh, that are available for the child that you need to go out and seek out. And um, for instance, even with Ashley, uh, if you apply for college, like nationally only 3% of children in foster care graduate from college. And to me, that's just an amazing stat, like 3%. So we know something not only in Illinois, but nationally is failing us on the foster care system as a whole, that only 3% are gonna graduate from college. And, um, And so, for us, like Ashley's this exceptional girl who has the capacity to be able to graduate from college. So smart, um, you know, first child in her family to ever even graduate from high school, let alone to have this opportunity to go to college. Um, but, you know, like she can go to any state school for free. Like 
Um, any child in the foster care system can go to college, uh, a state college for free. And so it's just, I didn't a, know that. Yeah. Didn't an yeah. amazing resource. And we did not know that at the beginning. So she was doing a different, uh, technical training school that she was actually having to pay money for. Well, she and, got scholarship for it, yeah. but if she hadn't received yeah. a scholarship, she would have been paying a lot of money to it, you know, to go to this vocational school, whereas like a state school, like, you know, would have been covered. So. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so a uh, long story short, there are a ton of pools and pockets of all these uh, resources, but it's really uh, upon, you know, either you have the caseworker who's so hardworking and is going to find those for you, or you as the foster parent, which has been Monique, really proactively seeking out what are those resources um, for your child. And then it's just being able to tap into those right pockets. Right. And then you have a foster parent support specialist. And ideally, they would be somebody who would know kind of like these grants, these different kind of facts that would be able to help support you. So not necessarily just on you. Um, so, you know, you have other people out there who are just there to support you as a foster parent. So that is very helpful as well. And our foster parent support specialist is Lori Benner, and she's fantastic. You know, and uh, we feel like, or I feel like we're the experts of like teenagers. You know, I can tell you all the grants, all the things, uh, what they want to do after high school, vocational school, trade schools. Like I, I've got that part covered. If you started asking me about infants, I don't know near as much um, because we've never had experience in that area, you know, but they would be able to put you in touch with somebody who did and would really be able to help you navigate those areas as well. Now, it seems daunting to me. So tell me your mindset of you can get a phone call one weekend and get, as you said, flooded with three or four opportunities. You can go maybe weeks without. How, how do you how do you both sit there and be like, you know, are we ready for another one? Or all of a sudden this case comes in, oh, honey, boy, this this we need to take this. I mean, boy, it seems like one day everything's you know, you, you guys get into your groove and then the next day you're taking somebody on and then maybe the next day another person's leaving. And then two weeks later, you're maybe thinking about taking someone else on. I mean, that seems very daunting, especially with four biological children. So walk us through that thought process you guys have. And I know obviously faith plays a big part in all of this. Yeah, we, we do. We pray about each call we get, especially ones that seem like they fit our family structure well. Uh, and then the ones that we usually you have like, okay, well, we have to move them out of here. You got a three day, you know, so then the part, you know, we have the conversation with our biological children. Uh, and what they understand is that some pa families need support. And sometimes mom and dad need a little bit of time to get their life in order. So we're going to help play mom and dad for a bit until they are able to do that. Our kids know the bio family of like Ev Ashley and they, they like her and they, they have a great time with her whenever she's around. So, um, but then usually it's like, that's how we kind of get them on board is the kiddos and I will go and we will decorate their room. So we'll find out what their favorite color is, what they are really into. And the girls love it being older, you know, to make it their room, make it special to them. And so then, then we're able to kind of transition more smoothly into it. And they have a couple days uh, with Ashley. We knew about a month ahead because she was moving from one placement to another, um, and with the money and our money, it was a, about a week that they were able to come. So we were able to get all of our baby stuff cleaned, get all of the boy stuff out, you know, and get that room ready, get the crib up. And uh, so they were, they were in your, your house for just a week. Uh, we had a week's time oh, notice week, right. to oh, set up. Okay. Uh -huh. And then they were with us for about six months. Six so. months. Okay. Yeah. And so then, you know, she moved out and with her son. So, um, and it was fun to be able to kind of transition there too. So bring all the baby stuff back out and kind of <laughs> get the kids excited. And they, oh my goodness, they just loved Armani so much. It was so much fun to watch them together. So yeah, I would say for me, the, this larger decision is really so much centered on God and what God would be asking of us at each step, uh, because obviously your natural inclination as parents is like protection. And you want to say like, man, we don't want to bring instability into our lives. And 
I think naturally even like our parents and whenever we're talking to them about, hey, we're going to do foster care. And they're like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, you, and not only are you crazy, but is this truly what God could be asking you to do? Because you have a family to take care of right now. And all you're going to be doing is bringing chaos and stability. If you really care about your own kids, then you won't be doing this. And so that's really hard thing to face up to and to say like, all right, is this really God asking us to do this? And I think, you know, anyone who's uh, considering, should I do foster care or not? Then it's really something to think through, like, is this what I'm being asked and called to do? And if you are though, like, you know, we think about Matthew 25 and like, whatsoever you do for the least among you that you've done unto me. And, but there are so many ways of caring for Jesus through the least among us. Like, you could be called, you know, in a hundred different ways, you know, through a prison ministry or through, you know, uh, and so maybe it's to not welcome children into your home, but maybe it is. Maybe you're in a situation where that's, there are so many kids out there right now. Like I think Monique and I, we're saying even on the way over here, we're like, how many kids right now are in the foster care system in Illinois? Um, and it's around 21,000 as of the end of March. And it's like 21,000 just in the state of Illinois. And there's such a need for good homes to be welcoming children in. Like, you know, uh, your neighbor who's most in need and you think of these young children who need a home. And it's like, if that calling sits on your heart and if you feel like, man, this is something that I do feel, you know, God's trying to say something to me in this. Don't let fear be the thing that stands in your way of not listening to God. And also, Monique uh, does is the director of religious education. We had a family night recently and it was about this Bible stat around like over 300 times in the Bible. It's like uh, saying, do not be afraid. 365. 365 yeah. for every day, day. day of the yep. year. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so for, for well, us, th- thanks like, for teeing up our, our theme for the diocese this year has been be not afraid. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, that's so perfect. And it really is like having the courage to step up to say, I'm not going to let fear be the thing that stands in between me and this child who needs a loving home. And, uh, but then in the moment by moment situation of really allowing God in to say like, is this what we're being called for this child? And it really is hard to be like, to say those no's, but I think so important, like Monique said, to be able to say like, all right, this is a long-term journey that we're on with God. And we want to create that stable home for our children. But sometimes you do need to welcome chaos into that into that home uh, or a little bit of instability because overall, like God asks us to be faithful to him and to take on some sacrifices in order to serve, to serve him. And um, yeah, so it's always a case by case uh, decision between the two of us. Now I know you, you all are different in that you take in teens and, and mothers, whereas a lot of people through fostering like to take on children. So, so this question doesn't necessarily parallel totally to you, but um, I think one, th- maybe another hindrance of people fostering is you fall in love with these children and then all of a sudden before you know it, they're, they're ripped away from you and, and, you know, they're taken away back to their biological family or wherever, wherever they end up. So, um, you know, granted you guys don't have the children, you have the teens, so you can maybe have more of a, I'll call it a professional relationship in that, or it's more mature, more mature relationship because they understand that. But, but how do you deal with that of you fall in love with these children knowing that tomorrow they may be out of your house and especially with your biological children, how do you teach them that these people you're falling in love with could be gone tomorrow? 
Yeah, it is. It's um, the hard on the kids. You know, they do really miss them. But like you said, ours is a little bit more organic why our kiddos have left. So it's either been like college or they've moved out independently. And so in those areas, our kids had a little bit of tea time to be able to like, okay, this is coming. I can see this coming. And they all cried, you know, but they also FaceTime with them all the time, you know. And so, you know, our last foster daughter had her baby a couple, like a week ago. And so we got to see her and it was just so fun. Oh my gosh. And so the kids were just elated, you know. And so they don't really leave in that way. Uh, And we've had... But I, I do know other families who have fostered younger kiddos, and I, I honestly, I, that would be very hard. It would be a very difficult thing. Um, what they say is that they feel like they can give a Christ-like love for even a tiny bit of time, and then they want to be able to do that. They want to be able to care and to nurture in that way, even if it means momentarily, uh, you know, opening your heart up for something, and it's going to be like disappointment and heartache. Um, but they feel like on the back end, even after they left, to know that they fully loved that child and that child fully felt loved made the whole thing worth it. Um, and that's just from their experiences. I can't speak to it for our own. But, you know, we, we miss Armani. He was four months old when he came into our home, and he just adored Jesse. Like, the minute he saw Jesse get out of work, he would lunge to him, and they would go outside. And that was like – and so it was it was hard, uh, I think, on, on you. So, yeah, Jesse, how, how was that? You fall in love with this child, and then the next day, you know, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was difficult. Yeah, it was. I mean, we get to see him more, but watching him walk, learn to walk, learn to crawl, you know, it's like they make these big steps, and you feel like you're a part of it. It's really special. But um, then knowing you're not going to be there for all the tiny things, you it, it does uh, motivate you to try to keep in touch and create those relationships that are longer standing. You know, here's yeah. what I get though from your emotions right now is that you miss it like crazy, but you're so glad you did it and you got to fall in love with a child. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think there's uh you can love selfishly and you can love unselfishly. And I think, uh, yeah, God would ask us to say, Hey, you know, like to try to love in the way that Jesus loves, which is really in this unconditional way. And that means you hope for what's best for that child. And you know, that sometimes that's in your control, uh, to handle those things. And sometimes it's out of your control. And, um, yeah, each stage is trying to do your best uh, to show that love, and um, yeah, and it is hard whenever they're you you don't have control anymore over that, and it's kind of that trust then in God that you this what you did provide uh, can hopefully lead to something good. Now, one thing that struck me, Monique, in, in the article of a Catholic Times. Now, at least for you, you said. Um, that the goal of fostering should not be pursued primarily as a path to adoption, although it can be. The main goal is reunification, if possible. That struck me because I, I when I when I read that, I, I kind of thought, well, yeah, there are good people who want to take in kids, but I think a lot of people do it to kind of trial run of adoption or ultimately try to adopt the child they're fostering. So explain that what, what you mean a little bit more by reunification and why you think that that's more of should be the main goal. Right. And so this can, comes from a lot of different caseworkers who I've talked to who said, if you're going to help recruit for foster parents, please get this message out there too. And they explain their reasoning. And I, I do agree with them that, you know, there is the chance of adoption through foster. We always agreed that any child who came into our home always had the open heart of adopting them if that was something that they would desire. And it still is. And so, um, and, and that can be the goal. But if you go into it with the intent to adopt any child, placed into you, you're, you might be really let down because you can't control what the state is going to say. You can't control how long it's going to take. You can't control whether or not. And and it's a good thing that God 
gives grace and people are given second chances. And that mom or dad might really turn their life around and want that child back and, and to be able to make things right. And so because of that, you want to be, you know, in the forefront in your mind, advocating for that biological family, for reunification, for making those, you know, lasting changes that's going to make a safe living environment for that child. Um, and so if you go into it with the hope of adoption, um, you just might be heartbroken at the end of it. And so it's not that it, it isn't a path that way. It really can be. It's more that with if you go in with the intent, knowing that there are going to be a lot of uncontrollable var- variables that, you know, might be thrown your way that uh, could leave you very frustrated um, and feeling dejected. So uh, going into it, feeling like, okay, I'm going to advocate for these biological family too. And I'm obviously you're going to advocate for what's best for that child in your care. Um, but knowing that at the end of the day, you, you can't control what the state is going to say or, you know, what the system is going to do. So loving openly um, is what I would suggest because you could be really heartbroken at the end. So, What's the future for you both in terms of fostering? Well, we, ha- we have no placements right now. We just clean out the room. It's all, you know, <laughs> Ashley comes back and she stays with us whenever she's on break. So she, and that's her room. Like she doesn't, I put her stuff back up before she comes home because she likes pineapples and she wants it yellow. So, <laughs> you know, and so, but we have other space, we have extra rooms. And so all the time we just are so open to what that might look like. And, you know, even as our kids get older, reevaluating the ages in which we're open to receiving children as well. We just, uh, you know, are praying at, at each stage that we're able to really help those whoever in need. So, yeah. yeah, I think for us, we have a, a rule that or not a rule, but we've noticed that God leads with a lantern, not a flashlight. And so <laughs> you can see if you go deep within yourself and you really listen to God in each moment, you can say, okay, I think he wants me to take this step. Uh, but then does that step lead off in this direction? That one, does it lead off a cliff in the future? <laughs> uh, you know, and I think just trusting that God will lead us uh, in each step to make the right choice. And so you know, as things get busier, we always are our uh, underlying premise is like, can we create a foundation in our own family with our own home that we could be open to always welcoming those in need into our into our kind of own heaven and uh, and that heaven that we have. And back in Petersburg, we live up on this hillside, and and that's it's. There's a story in Buddhism that I really love of the it's the Bodhisattva, which is actually part of what uh, we named our son Bo after. Um, but it's that notion that he could have gone into heaven himself, but he decided how, when there are so many people who are living and suffering back on earth, could I enter into heaven myself? And so he chooses to go back out into the world. And like, uh, and so that notion of like, man, you could just have heaven yourself and have that stability and have uh, that comfort. But like, are you willing to always open yourself to that possibility of those in need coming into your life and bringing maybe some of that chaos, but bringing all that, uh, same joy. And, you know, even just thinking about, I mean, honestly, it's funny because I never get emotional. Um, when he calls me a robot a lot of times, sure. because, but like, it so really, I got you emotional. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's amazing. <laughs> I honestly, probably my kids have never seen it. Uh, and so, um, but like I, for me, those deepest things that you care most about, you know, that you really, and like love for a child, like what could be more, more critical, but it has ways of opening you, uh, and, in really good ways to God's love uh, so that you can then return that into the lives of others. And so I think we just always want to be open to that possibility. And it's like, all right, God, how are you going to use us, Uh, you know, like moving forward? And so we're kind of excited to find out, you know, like at each stage, how God's going to try to use us. Right. And this is why we are doing this is just hoping that if anyone has questions that we can be a resource, you know, that they can reach and ask those hard questions or the ones that seem uncomfortable. Like, you know, 
we were, we're grateful for the people who answered questions for us along the way. So we hope to be that source for others as well. Excellent. If people want to get in contact with you, you guys are prisoners at St. Peter's in yes. Petersburg. So maybe go that route mm-hmm. and get in touch with you. Really compelling story, guys. Yeah, thank amazing. you so much for coming yeah. in and, and thank you for your witness as well to our faith and, and just your, your words are so inspiring and so refreshing in, in today's world. I, I, I must say that your, your openness and your trust in God and be not afraid. So Monique and Jesse Sullivan, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you. you for Thanks having for having us. us. You're welcome. This has been Dive Deep. If you would like more podcasts, head on over to dio.org slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.